Good morning, everyone. It is the 18th of January, and I have with me today Patrick Good and Asim Kadri. It was another risk on week, with reflation very much top of the agenda, but the yield on the US 10-year Treasury remained above 1%, hitting a 10-month high as bond prices weakened. And in the US, President-elect Joe Biden did not disappoint. He announced a rescue package worth $1.9 trillion. Patrick, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's an interesting move. Um, certainly, Joe Biden and his uh, his team are targeting fiscal stimulus right into the, the heart of the US economy, um, increasing checks that are going to be handed out to households and small businesses. But questions also remain just how quickly the incoming administration can move on this plan and how much public opposition uh, may slow down the introduction or the passing of this package. Unfortunately, without sufficient Republican support in the Senate, Democrats will have to rely on potential reconciliation processes with the Republicans, which may place limits on the types of spending that can be increased and ultimately delivered you know, to households and, and businesses that need this package by the Biden administration. So maybe not as straightforward as it originally appears, but we saw the big US banks kicking off the Q1 reporting season, and they seem to be taking a rather positive view of results. Any highlights there? Yeah, it's it's uh, they are taking a positive view, certainly. And, and last week, the JP Morgan uh, alongside Citigroup and Wells Fargo were some of the, the larger companies to announce reporting at the start, the unofficial start of Q4 earnings season. Despite some of the positive news and upside on earnings surprises, shares did fall in, in those three names uh, as trading began with Wells Fargo, particularly leading some of the declines in the market on the back of revenue miss. Kind of broader, interestingly, uh, by the end of last week, analysts polled by Factset were expecting overall earnings for the S&P 500 to decline just under 7% for the final quarter on a year-on-year basis. Uh, and interestingly, or, or worth noting that for 2020, as a whole, analysts now are expecting or anticipating an earnings fall of about 13% in, in the US markets over the calendar year of 2020. Well, we'll see how those numbers play out. But Asim, we saw share prices of a number of Chinese firms quoted in the US tumbling in response to President Trump's US investment ban. Are these bans expected to outlive the president? Yes, Lorna. Uh, recap, so in his last full week in office, we saw President Trump signal an order strengthening the ban that was announced last year on US investment in over 40 Chinese companies uh, that are deemed by the US to be owned or controlled by the Chinese military. So US investors will be required to have completely divested from these companies by the 11th of November this year. And there's some pretty well-known companies that have been blacklisted. So you've got names like China Mobile and also China's top uh, semiconductor manufacturer, SMIC. So yeah, Asian markets, you know, have been, you know, kind of these companies have been impacted with some of the stocks that were named in the executive order selling off, you know, pretty sharply. Although some of the mega cap Chinese technological companies like Alibaba and Tencent, which are large constituents of Asian equity indices, weren't added to the list, uh, which was a relief. So, yes, I think clearly there are still a number of questions and confusion over the scope of the van, and the market is trying to figure out still what is allowed and what isn't under the new rules. But as as you alluded to, some big US active and passive money managers, you know, have started kind of selling down the exposure to these companies already. But I think crucially, you know, China hasn't reacted favorably to the measures. So I think clearly we haven't heard the last of this. And I think it still remains to be seen how President-elect Biden deals with the issue as he takes office. Yes, quite. But on the macro front, we had some very good data from China, didn't we? Particularly these export figures. Yeah, really more, kind of more strong data. So uh, last week we saw China end 2020 with some you know, record high trade figures. So the trade surplus, so i.e. the gap between exports and imports, uh, that rose to a record high. 
And that was really driven by export strength and kind of export growth came in at 18% year on year, which is some pretty kind of materially high figures and they were well above expectations. And, you know, I've touched upon this before, but exports have remained strong in China throughout the pandemic. And, you know, factories in China have been able to capitalize on the high global demand for work from home technology and health equipment during the pandemic. You know, really as other large economies, you know, have been suffering the social and you know economic consequences of the virus. And, and then, as you, as you mentioned, this export resilience was really one of the main factors behind the strong macro data we saw overnight. So GDP growth for the final quarter, you know, last year beat expectations to coming in at 6.5% year on year. And that crucially meant that the full year economic growth figures for 2020 was 2.3%. And that's crucial as it means that China will really be the only kind of major economy in the world that didn't contract last year. So, you know, really China continues to stand out from other major economies. And this recovery continues to be driven by industrial production and exports. And the discrepancy or imbalance between production and consumption remains significant. And fascinating to see that GDP expansion in the fourth quarter was actually a faster rate than before COVID. Exactly, yeah. So we've seen the strength of the recovery and how China's really recovered to kind of its uh, pre-COVID levels in terms of economic growth. Mm, It's impressive. In the week ahead then, we have um, central banks meeting, um, the ECB and the Bank of Japan. No changes particularly there, but the ECB rhetoric could well be reinforcing a supportive message given these political difficulties we're seeing in Italy at the moment. But there's no doubt the main event will be Joe Biden's inauguration, 46th president of the US. Patrick, do you feel the markets have further to run with the Biden blue wave? Yeah, there certainly is a bit of euphoria around the change in the presidency in the US. You know, markets are are still currently focused on issues with COVID vaccination plans and potential bottlenecks that are emerging in the distribution of the vaccine in in Europe, the UK and uh, in the US. But certainly in in terms of Biden's presidency, you know, there were were some rumblings a couple of months ago and and in the lead up to his election around tax rates for US corporates. And and I'm sure they'll be coming back onto the radar of markets shortly once certain fears about COVID begin to disappear. So, um, yeah, it's euphoric a little bit at the moment. And, and I'm sure that a lot of the risks and fears that markets were highlighting a couple of months ago about the Biden presidency will come to the fore and may introduce a bit of uncertainty around the Biden uh, administration's first year in, in office. But uh, yeah, certainly at the moment, there's a, there's a nice tailwind in markets and the outlook is looking positive at the moment. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Gordon.